Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. And today we're exploring a question relevant to anyone responsible for communications. How can leaders and brands work together online? And we all know the scenario. It's far easier for any social media post to be conceived, drafted, developed, and posted by the brand with a little you know, cheat sheet of sorts, a sort of document or email that explains to senior leaders and others how they can use this asset. And this approach is designed to save time and limit risk. But the unfortunate result is a very public and globally scalable copy-paste job that ends up coming across as inauthentic, scripted, or even worse, does far more brand damage than a typo. And this is what happens when a brand dictates terms and leaders and other staff are simply viewed as a way to extend the corporate message. And this is a real risk when it comes to online employee advocacy tools that provide the means to communicate online without always explaining why. So how do you get it right? How can leaders and brands work together effectively online? And what role should each play to build a trusted, credible presence? One, one that attracts talent, engages partners and empowers staff. Well, my guest today knows an awful lot about this situation, having helped her organisation and leadership team navigate the use of social media channels for over 13 years now. Danielle Bond is the Group Director of Brand, Marketing and Communications at international engineering design and advisory firm, Oricon. And she's also a member of the International Executive Board for the IABC, having just completed a term as its chair. And she has a wonderfully insightful story to share with you today. So Danielle, thank you so much for joining us on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thank you, Roger, and it's great to be here. No, I really appreciate you making time. Now, and I know, you know we're here today to talk about that idea of leaders and brands working together. I'm sure we'll answer the how question as we go through things, but I thought what might be interesting uh, to start with, I suppose, is, to, is perhaps a slightly nuanced version of that, which is why. And, and keen to get your view on that. Why must leaders and brands work together online today? What, why can't brands just do everything themselves? Well, I think leaders are the human face of the brand. Uh, like employees, uh, it's it's not just only in the business to business environment. If you think of uh, if you think of uh, the business to consumer environment, there are lots of amazing examples of where an inspirational, socially savvy leader has helped the brand be successful. Roger Branson and Virgin come to mind. So I think leaders make a brand relatable. Uh, I think brands are increasingly judged on what their leaders do and say in the public domain. So I think it's really important for leaders to be socially savvy as well as astute about the, the impact they have on their brands, uh, both for good and sometimes not so f- for good. Uh, and, you know, I also think digital tools and social media are really important channels for companies uh, to engage different stakeholder groups and leaders uh, understand that. Uh, and I think particularly uh, these days, engaging employees is increasingly done by leaders 
through their social media presence. Absolutely agree with you. And I think what I'm hearing from that initial response is this idea of humanizing the brand. You know, they can, leaders can do things in a different way that that doesn't need to um, necessarily detract from the brand at all. Ideally, this is a complementary relationship. Leaders can do things, and particularly as you say, they're with employees that, that brands can't. And it's important to harness both. Now, you know, you and I have had a conversation and, and I understand um, the, the journey you've been on to a degree and the background, like it's such a fascinating story where it all started for you. And I wonder if maybe could we start there, Danielle, and just learn a little bit more going back to the start and, and people who might be listening to this and, um, and, and might be encouraged by the journey you've been on since 2009, those early conversations that brought you to where you are today. Can you give us a sort, a sort of summary of the origin story for, for social media at Oricon? I will. With, um, very happy to do so, but perhaps take just one step back and I'll do the origin story for social media with me because I do remember in the first decade of the of this century, Facebook coming out and, and thinking, what on earth is that all about? And then as a marketer, I realised that I needed to understand how it worked. I couldn't, I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't just ignore it, even though that was my first, um, my, my first position was to go, why would I be on Facebook? Uh, but then I realised as I saw it grow that actually, how could I not be on Facebook, even if it was just to understand as a marketing professional what it was about. So when I joined Oricon in 2009, it was a new brand. The, the company's been around for many, many decades, but had merged. And so it was a new brand in 2009. It had no social media presence and it didn't have um, some of the foundational elements that we enjoy today, such as a CRM system. And so as the marketing professional tasked with the job of building this brand, uh, one of the first things I looked at was social media. And I worked uh, with my HR leadership team in the first instance to go, we need some kind of presence. And we, we created a Facebook page. And then I remember giving advice to that same team who were looking at this new tool called LinkedIn as a, you know, a potential way of transforming the way they uh, recruited and how we positioned the company to attract talent. And I immediately recognised not just the power of the tool for recruitment purposes, but for me as a brand builder, the power of the tool to help me build our brand, uh, engage our workforce, engage our engage our other stakeholders in, in the industry, our clients and, and business partners. And it was at the time, you can do that for free. You could build organic growth. I mean, many like us now invest more and certainly the cost of a recruitment license is not insubstantial, but those tools to start with were free. And so we just dived straight in. I remember being at a, a meeting and and we said, well, what would, the, what would be the next best steps? And I just said, why don't we just create a page? And we created a page and we just took off from there and experimented and learned as we went. And so we created our LinkedIn company page in 2011 uh, with 1,000 followers that were mostly employees. So we started the way we have continued, which is to speak to our workforce first about what we're doing and why and invite them to come on the journey with us and be our first followers. And from that small start, um, 
we are now just shy of 300,000 followers, which for an organisation of our size of 6,500 people, we actually punch above our weight. So our our employees, connections uh, and the followership that has brought with us has, is now really a valuable brand building tool. And there's a couple of other journeys along the way, but I, you know, I remember the excitement of getting our first 10,000 followers. And in 2012, we were really delighted that LinkedIn actually selected us as one of the top 12 company pages in the world, which was, uh, you know, a proud moment for us all. We got our first 50,000 in 2014, our first 100,000 in 2017. And, and so all of those milestones have been celebrated with our people because they are our brand ambassadors on that platform and uh, yeah it's how it works I don't think there's any particularly brilliant thing that I did Roger just just a a willingness to experiment and engage and uh, that's what I certainly would encourage others to do who perhaps are not on that journey yet oh I think there's some humility there but there's also some honesty in the fact that what was particularly brilliant was workforce first and so, um, you know, as an outside observer and someone who often talks with organisations about the journey that you've been on um, and, and how they can go on a similar journey, I do think that too often we think about it's almost what's the message we need to get out or, you know, maybe it's the reverse of that, which is we're not getting a message out. Could we do it this way? Could we um, use this as a way to kind of, you know, a channel that we can exploit, not necessarily in a negative context, but more we're not able to service this need any, any other way. How can we use, for example, a LinkedIn page to fill a gap? What's interesting about what you were describing there, Danielle, and I do want to pick into that story a little bit more, is this idea of you started with a workforce first mentality and that's carried you through to where you are today. And I do think that, you know, the hidden superpower of social media really is about harnessing and empowering that voice, that collective voice of your people, rather than taking um, a brand only approach to social media. Now, yeah, there's a couple of things in there that um, I want to pick out. And I think the first, and maybe this is a slightly unfair comment to make, so no offence intended to you or your colleagues, (laughs) but I do love that this story, you know, we're we're talking about Oricon, which is an engineering firm. And I I know that you're always imagining designing and, um, you know, innovating as an industry. So perhaps we shouldn't be surprised, but, but I still think that most people assume that social media innovation it's going to come from technology or it's going to come from retail or it's going to come from, you know, somewhere like that. And, and I, I love that, you know, Oricon was a, a top 12 page globally, as you're saying. So hats off to you. I think that's that deserves acknowledgement. And it also flies in the face of, I suppose, what people think is the popular narrative of social media. Uh, the second is that, you know, your patience and your willingness to play the long game while allowing the organisation to mature around you um, is admirable. And I think a lot of people, when we talk about social media, we like to see instant results. And, and that's true. Of course we do. We want to see validation, but you, you, your perspective of let's get people around us, let's do this for the right reasons and, and let's stay the course is um, I think very encouraging. And the third one is, you know, you said it there around um, not, not necessarily doing anything brilliant. I think you understand that you needed to take steps even if you weren't entirely sure what they were at the time or or where they would lead you 10 years down the track. Uh, And in taking those steps, I'd argue you probably probably normalised social media participation uh, far more than many organisations who come in with that kind of risk-averse or resistant mindset uh, when it comes to social media. And and maybe on that point, can I probe a bit deeper on on the risk element? Because 
you know, it sounds like you've had a very workforce first and, and having that very open approach um, to staff using social media from the outset. Has that led to more problems for you? Do you feel like as a result, you've been inundated with issues over the years of people doing the wrong things? It's so interesting because I think this comes back to a philosophy about how you want to lead a team of people. And our philosophy has always been that we would trust that our people will always do the right thing. They're intrinsically motivated as professionals to do the work that they do professionally. And I think you need to manage and lead accordingly. So yes, there might be some outliers, but if you work on the basis that um, people will mostly want to do the right thing, we need to educate them about the purpose of the tool, um, the opportunities and the risks. We need to provide them with the support to help them do it, make it a bit of fun. But yeah, as a brand, you want to also monitor to make sure that where um, if something does go wrong, if somebody um, is is uh, does something that's not aligned with our brand or values or just made a mistake and we can help them um, correct that, we'll do that. But work on the basis that mostly people will do the right thing and that served us well. Now, I hasten to add that we are also a privately owned business. We are not a public company. We're not um, regulated in the same ways that financial services businesses may be. So, you know, I think that from the context that we're in, that approach uh, serves us very well. And it's been very open, uh, absolutely open. And it was funny what you were saying about would engineers be creative? And look, I might be the daughter and granddaughter of an engineer and and I am, uh, and I never really understood what they did. Uh, But I've got to tell you, having worked for engineers now since 2009, they really truly are creative and they're, they're inquisitive and problem solvers. And so this thing of social media may not be the most natural thing. Um, You might think at first glance, but I think you get, people interested in its power and its potential and how it can connect you to a network, how it can connect you to leading thinking, and that's a a good hack for a lot of people to, you know, how do I get to the smartest and the most eminent people in my my domain? That's a value add. So uh, I think that's how it has worked for us. Uh, But I, I understand the risk piece and I do think that for many users on social media, uh, who are, are not currently there, you probably do have to, and we, we have, held some hands to get them to overcome that fear piece. And it's not necessarily the fear of um, of breaching some cone of silence, confidential issue, but more about looking foolish. Um, you know, how do I present that idea without looking like I'm self-promoting or, um, you know, it's that type of coaching and support I think people need to to be confident and become more confident that it's it's something that they can leverage and use. Absolutely, and I should um, also put a caveat in, Danielle, that I'm the son of an engineer, so um, I've got a lot, lot of time and, and respect for <laughs> my dad to too. Club. So <laughs> I'm certainly not <laughs> I'm certainly not throwing mud here, but but I think what I like about that, and I, and I do think you know I highlight it because of its. Um, that it's strong grounding and it's connection to your overarching purpose and it's connection to the way that you do business. This isn't about talking, this isn't talking about social media in isolation. What is social media and what should it do for us? 
Instead, it's looking at it from the organization's perspective and saying, what are we here to do? And what role can social media play in helping fulfill that purpose? And I think that's such a lovely, um, simple, but so important and so strategic approach to the way that you're using social media that is, uh, I suppose, reflective of why you would imagine um, engineers who are problem solvers and who are innovators and, and, and big thinkers coming at it that way. So no, credit where credit's due. Um, I just think that most people, when you say social media, think of the fashion FMCG retail brands, um, not engineers who are designing the future. So uh, credit where credit is due. Now, one thing that we haven't uh, covered as yet, and, and I'm really keen to, if we look back on that journey, is um, you know not skipping over, I suppose, the importance of leadership. And that's obviously something we love to unpack on this podcast, of course, but you obviously worked out very early on the important role that staff and leaders in particular would play in helping you uh, attract and engage talent, as you were saying. So can you talk a bit about your CEO, uh, Bill Cox, and, and his role in driving that, that wider adoption of social media across the workforce. Has, has he always been an advocate and user himself? Look, he wasn't actually. He, he was on the platform and had been on the platform for many years. Uh, but po- probably like a lot of people was just, I'd like a post, I'd see, check in occasionally. But when he became Chief Executive Officer, he he wanted to really address uh, his communication program and saw that social media was one of those channels for him that he wanted to really master and he set about doing that with support from from my team uh, and and I think is now very active on the platform which is which is I think a lesson for for people in 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 corporate affairs and comms is you can start off by helping and providing support for a leader to get comfortable and you know if you're writing a speech for a leader you learn their voice you understand um you know, what they care about, what they stand for, how they talk about strategy and progress. And and we might do that in social media as well to start with. But really the power is when your your chief executive becomes socially active themselves. And so we now have a very social CEO who, you know, Bill is engages a lot in other people's posts and employees he'll he'll write comments and say congratulations he connects with people across our industry and, and clients and that's that's been really terrific and uh, I think you know the role of that inside our organization is firstly I mean we know from Brunswick Group Connected Leadership which is a terrific report I know you're across Roger but some of your listeners may not have uh, checked out that report but it's well worth looking at employees want to work for organisations where their leaders are active on social media and there's some incredible data points that um, would point out that actually they really prefer to work for an organisation where the CEO in particular is socially active. So it, it serves a couple of purposes, I think. One, you have a chief executive who is socially active and, and employees like that. Two, they're invariably very well followed by staff on social media who are themselves active, so it becomes a really good channel to communicate and engage with our people. And then I think the third is it gives permission, right? It gives permission to to people to get there and it, perhaps it acts as a useful prompt to other leaders in the business who perhaps aren't socially active to have another look at that, that that is a channel that they should be seeing as part of their um, 
how they do work, how they work uh, today, uh, having a presence and, you know, you don't need to spend hours on social media. You've got to know why you're there. So, you know, be there and understand what you're trying to achieve, but make time for it. Absolutely, you do. And I agree with that around it doesn't have to take all hours of the day. And it's certainly not something you should be doing at, at midnight um, to catch up on work. Finding the, um, the the purpose and the driver behind, whether it's a CEO in, in Bill's case or whether it's someone else, finding why you would participate, why you would turn up and why you would make the time is ideally linked to what you're already doing. So we don't see social media necessarily as, a, as an add-on and as something that's an extra chore. Ideally, it's a way to do what you're already doing or, or a way to do what you're trying to achieve in a different, more effective, more efficient way. And that's where we try and work with, with clients to help them work out those pathways. So in the case, the example you just give there around employee engagement and, and communication to staff, if you can do that efficiently, because this is a, a, an environment, LinkedIn is an environment that gives you, you know, scalable access to this audience um, and in a way that they can too then share that message with their stakeholders and partners, brilliant, do it. Cho- choose the channel that makes sense. And hasn't it been important in the last few years, more important than ever with the, the pandemic and remote working and now hybrid working, it, it also gives leaders an insight into how their organisation's travelling. I mean, if you're following your your staff on social media and you're getting that in your newsfeed, you know what's going on to some extent. There's limitations, of course, but it gives you that sense. And I think it play, it's played a very important role of connection. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of that ear to the ground, the, the pulse check mm. of the organisation. What are people talking about, thinking, feeling? Um, and, and we often advise people on the importance of that to inform messaging that then goes back out. Don't look at listening in isolation. It's absolutely a way to get a sense of what people are caring about, worried about, uh, and how you can inform the messaging that you then put back into the market so it comes across as um, you know, uh, considerate and, and considered. I was just going to say the other thing that's worthwhile thinking about that's a here and now challenge for business is recruitment. You know, we know that... Uh, we're in a very hot employment market around the world and that uh, LinkedIn and other social media channels are ways of engaging potential and future talent. And the human, the brand can certainly and does do things to position and attract talent, uh, but it is absolutely uh, reinforced by a socially active leadership and workforce that are telling your story of why working for your company is a great experience. And I think it is the absolute secret source in those companies that are winning the war for talent. So can I touch on that? Because I think that's a really good example, Danielle, that um, brings this brand and, and leader and broader workforce, these different elements together. There was a post that that Bill did a couple of weeks ago now around moving office and and I loved it. I loved it. And, and I just thought... It's so authentic. It's so um, uh, simple, but but also considered in its its delivery. And f- for those who are listening, um, you can go and have a look at Bill Cox on LinkedIn and go back through his, his activity feed and find this post. It's um, a photo of a, a selfie that he's taken um, of him in front of the Oricon building um, as they were moving offices. And what I loved about that is exactly what you're talking about. You could have posted from the brand saying, the company page saying, hey, we're moving offices. This is our new home kind of thing. Looking forward to hosting all our staff and and partners and whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. The difference between that and the delivery from, in this case, your CEO, 
he was able to tap into years of nostalgia and years of experiences and and those little moments that a brand simply can't tap into in a human way that brought it to life and and shared that photo of him sitting behind the desk with paper everywhere and and all the comments that that generated of people saying you know goodness me bill tidy up the desk and and wow we've come a long way in, in digital technology and so on in terms of what it looked like these are human stories so it's not that and one that replaces him. the other. That was yeah, Bill's yeah. story. That was totally Bill um, was like, I want to write a story because we're moving office, with, you know, 34 years in our office in Neutral Bay. Um, and and that was totally all Bill, Bill wrote that from top to bottom. He had, now this is one thing you would respect, Roger, I know, with your father, you know, an engineer is going to have a treasure trove of photos from every project they've ever worked on. And, of course, he did have uh, a lot of photos that we could select from his early days as a young engineer uh, in the military road office. And so my team added the value by selecting a good photo. <laughs> but yeah, it was great. And it's a great way of engaging uh, and many, many people. That was possibly the biggest, you know, his most popular post on, on the platform this year. And it did more for letting uh, the industry know that we were moving office than any other communication my team delivered. So uh, that's a yeah, it's a good story. And, and I would argue more. And this is the thing, Danielle. That this is a post about moving office, and I, and I've read through some of the comments, and people are saying, you know, it's it's former colleagues, it's former partners, it's current colleagues, uh, uh, current staff, current partners, and they're all just talking. It's just a, a, a you know a bit of a love-in for Oricon, which is fantastic because this is about moving office. This is a physical change of environment that leads to, as you were saying, employer branding. This is talent attraction and talent retention. And I think someone even said in one of the comments, you know, um, you've you've done a wonderful job here of uh, filling desks and getting everyone back to work because people want to be part of that culture. And that is something that a, that a human, in particular a leader, can do that a, a brand may not be able to do in the same way. And, and perhaps it connects back to what you were saying before, Danielle, with you know, that conversation you, you had when Bill um, stepped into the CEO role of um, recognising there was a need to do this in a more considered way. And and for me, that talks to, you know, what is the purpose of me turning up on LinkedIn? What is the purpose of, of my presence and my voice and the conversations I'm going to have? You know, we look at it in terms of a triangle, in terms of at the top, you've got the organisational ambitions. What are we here to do and achieve? connecting that to your personal story and your personal passions. And then thirdly, my stakeholders and what are their needs and, and, and what are they expecting from me and, and what would I ideally, the conversations I'd like to have with them. And if you can get a, a, a sit a leader down and, and talk through those different elements, what you'll find is a real sweet spot that they can own and that they can use to guide every single conversation they have online in a way that is both purposeful, meaningful, uh, but also authentic. And I think the last point, and this is where that um, this whole, these stories come together, is the algorithm. And we do know that, in particular in, in platforms like LinkedIn, when you do this through a human, when you do this through an individual's profile, you are inherently going to play to the algorithm far more effectively than you will through a company page, because that's the power of social networks. That's the power of human relationships, and that's something that shouldn't be ignored. So, this is—I mean—it's really interesting unpacking this story with you and you know i love hearing more about it i'm sure those listening do as well and i'm sure to be honest with you danielle we could probably do several of these conversations back to back and we get plenty out of them <laughs> but i'm conscious you have other things to do in your day as well as our listeners do so perhaps in in closing what i'd be really keen to understand is 
you've been on a really rich and, you know, I'm sure at times varying journey and you've hit your challenges and your barriers, you've overcome them. And, and at times you've taken steps, as you said, that you didn't necessarily know where they would lead you, but they have led you here today. Based on that journey, based on where you started all those years ago, what practical advice would you give to others who are going on their own journey, whether they're starting at the, at the beginning, like you were back in the day, or whether they're a bit further on that journey and just wondering where to next? What, what practical advice would you give to people um, to help them on their own social media journey? Well, I'd take a, I'd take a step back and just make sure that uh, you're, you're clear on what you're trying to do there. So, you know, what are your objectives? Is it principally about uh, attracting talent? Is it or is it a bit of both? Is it building your brand? Do you have relationships with your customers on that platform? Do you have relationships with business partners and suppliers? And make make sure that in what you're doing on the platform, you're thinking about those audiences and what they're interested in and that that drives your content agenda. Uh, so if I could just give you an example, um, you know, in my industry, people are really interested in what's happening with projects that are being designed and delivered uh, and we recently were very fortunate to be appointed with a with a competitor Arab to plan and design Auckland light rail so it's a city shaping project and we shared that news and we tagged every every client supplier business partner competitor and it got remarkable engagement and that was because everyone in the industry, are really interested in these types of stories. And, uh, you know, I think that's better than just doing a, a share of a news item about it. So we wrote a story about the project and what it might mean uh, for the community of Auckland and uh, tagged and got massive engagement. That's thinking about audience. So, you know, I think if, if, if you've, you've got to go back to basics, if it's a communication and engagement channel, what are you trying to communicate and to whom and is the content that you're sharing hitting the mark? And then, look, the other practical advice is I think you just have to have a go. Uh, experiment. Uh, look around and find examples of really uh, engaging content, brands that are doing it well in your industry or maybe more smartly outside of your industry and see where you can do something a bit distinctive uh, and have a bit of fun. Uh, I think you can grow organically well. I think you do need to invest as well. Um, so sponsored content's uh, increasingly important. Uh, look at the results and make some choices and, and see it as part of if I put my marketing hat on, you've got to see it in the context of an integrated marketing program. So it can't ever be and won't be your only channel. It'll be part of the channels and you need to sequence and measure and improve and start all again. Uh, so I think, you know, take those steps and wondering where to start, just do listen to your program, Roger, and learn from 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 you from you and your team and uh you know get on get online and just look around and follow people be a lurker i say follow lots of individuals and organizations and get inspiration 
I love that beer lurker. And and what I would say is, you know, what I'm sensing from this Danielle is is eyes and ears up. And 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 that's it's such a good mindset to take into this environment. Every single piece of information that you see is an opportunity to learn. And I'm not saying again that we shouldn't be sleeping because we're consuming so much content, but it's simply about having an eyes eyes up and, and in ears open approach so that you, you see these opportunities, you take these opportunities, you have fun, as you're saying, and you learn and, and know how to evolve your own program as you go. Um, so it's such an encouraging way to wrap up this conversation. I'm really thankful for your time. Um, I'm sure people will get a lot from this, but if they do have questions and encouragements, what's the best way for them to reach you, Danielle? Send me a friend request on LinkedIn. Happy to connect and have a conversation. Very good. You never know where it might lead. Look, Danielle Bond, thank you so much for sharing your time, your expertise and your insights on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thank you, Roger. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.